Good morning. It's good to see you all. Um, that was kind of cruel, Sam. Don't tempt the people with Lumal Nadis, only to let them down with Papa John's. Man. Wow. Well, that's a great way to start. Um, if you don't know me, my name is uh, Ryan Silhavy. I am the uh, office manager. I do all the admin stuff behind the scenes at EBF. Uh, and I also get to come up here and, and uh, preach sometimes. So it's, it's a joy and an honor to um, be with you all. Uh, a pastor of a well-known church in a predominant city in this country was quoted as saying this, and I want you to listen to this. I'll read it a couple times. Uh, I'd like you to evaluate his quote. He said, quote, The Bible is the authoritative word on what is good and evil in the world. End quote. The Bible is the authoritative word on what is good and evil in the world. Now, now think about this. Evaluate this quote. Is this true? The Bible is the authoritative word on what is good and evil in the world. On one hand, we can say, yes, the Bible does discuss good and evil, light and darkness, good and bad, truth and lies. But unfortunately, this pastor sort of missed it because the Bible isn't just an abstract form of morality. The Bible is the very word of God. And here at Evanston Bible Fellowship, we preach the whole Bible, not just the aspects of the Bible that deal in terms of, of, of inherent intrinsic morality. We believe that the whole Bible is not only a source of morality, a source of do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, uh, but it's the very words of God. That, that as we open the scriptures on Sunday mornings, that as you open the scriptures Monday through Saturday in your homes, which I hope you're doing, we're hearing from the very mouth of God. So we preach the whole Bible. We preach through books of the Bible at Evanston Bible Fellowship. And this morning we return to our series in the book of Revelation. Um, and in the book of Revelation, as I'm sure you're aware, we, we find some pretty, pretty weird, <laughs> pretty messed up passages. Uh, and this morning we find ourselves in one of those passages where there isn't this black and white Good versus evil. I mean, I mean, we'll, we'll find that in the passage. Uh, but, but morality is, is, is not so black and white in the book of Revelation. I, I mean, as, as we expound it, we, we learn applications for our life. But we have to decipher imagery and, and, and structure um, and some, some confusing syntax. Um, so there are plenty of difficult passages in the Bible, and this morning we find ourselves in, in one of those, and I have no shame in admitting it, that this is a difficult passage. It was difficult to um, prepare, to, to preach, but I, I truly believe that God's word will not return empty and void, and that he will do his work. Um, so we're going to do our work. Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 17, Revelation chapter 17, where we will hear from God this morning. With God's help, we will read the entire chapter. Um, but I think it's important, since we have uh, paused for Holy Week, um, to, to think back on the book of Revelation, to set sort of the context overall of the book of Revelation. So we're in chapter 17. Um, let's do a quick 101-level crash course in chapters 1 through 16, just in case you weren't here um, for that. Um, so, so Revelation begins with this triumphant vision of heaven. John, the author of the book, 
uh, is transported up into heaven um, where God shows him the Lamb, shows him the throne of God, shows him the new city, and we see progressively throughout the book that John details uh, heaven. And heaven is written about. We, we have the seven letters to the seven churches in chapters two and three. Uh, and then things get progressively more and more dark. And the artwork behind me is meant to depict that darkness. It's meant to depict light and darkness throughout the storyline of the Bible and the storyline of Revelation. As you can see in the middle, it gets quite dark. And the book of Revelation in the middle gets quite dark. We have the seven seals uh, and, and just recently, the seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out on the earth. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, one of the preachers shared that, that, that this was sort of the, the beginning of the end. Uh, this passage this morning, I'd say, we, we've moved past the beginning of the end. Uh, this, is, this is what I'm calling the middle of the end. So we're in the middle of the end. We're past the beginning of the end. Uh, but come chapters 21 and 22, we will be at the end of the end, the end. Amen. Um, Someone in here is excited to get to Revelation chapter 21. I hope it's you. Um, so we're in the, the middle of the end. With that context, let's move this morning uh, into Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. I'll go ahead and um, open us in, in prayer, and we will uh, read the chapter. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together and open your word. Thank you that you are good that you are a good God in an evil world. Thank you that through your son Jesus and his death and triumphant resurrection that you rescue us from the bottom of the pit, that thanks to the sacrifice of Christ and his triumphant victory over death, over sin, over hell, over Satan, that we do not have to taste the wrath of God, that you pass over us as believers in Jesus Christ and we get to experience the new city where everything is good and there are no tears and there is no pain. Um, I pray in the midst of this dark and, 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 and destructive passage that we would still remember that, um, that as big as evil gets, God, that you are bigger. pray that you'd show us that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read Revelation 17, starting in verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not 
and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast, because it was, and is not, and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. Uh, those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked devour her flesh, burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Well, this passage, Revelation 17, begins a larger section that goes from Revelation 17 to 19, chapter 17 through 19, and it deals with this prostitute named Babylon. This prostitute named Babylon. And what's important to recognize is that we've seen Babylon. We've seen little glimpses of this, uh, of this woman, of this figure, and of the destruction that follows earlier in the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation 14, 8, in fact, says, Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. You see a little glimpse. The angel arrives, saying, Fallen is Babylon the great, she, she, the prostitute, who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Uh, additionally, in, in the previous chapter, at the tail end of chapter 16, the, the seventh angel, starting in verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. Verse 19, The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. So we see little glimpses in chapter 14 and chapter 16. And what's important to recognize is this is indicative of the larger structure of the book of Revelation. There's a lot of, a lot of simultaneous parallel layers happening at once. Uh, so we see in the midst of the seventh bowls, uh, Babylon is introduced. We see in the midst of the seven angels earlier in chapter 14, Babylon is introduced. We have these sort of stacks, these stria of, of parallelism on top of one another that are running throughout the book of Revelation. So what's important to decipher is this isn't just a narrative that goes from point A to point B, uh, you know, without stopping. 
we have to pass go and collect $200 a few times. We have to sort of circle back around uh, and, and catch where we're at and, and where that has been picked up earlier. Do you see what I'm saying? So these stacks of, of parallel structure, these stacks of parallelism um, is evident in this passage in the ways that Babylon is introduced earlier. Um, well, coming to, to our passage this morning in Revelation 17, I'd like to, to break it into three sections. And if you like uh, taking notes, you can, you can write these down. First is the vision. Second, the reaction. And third, the result. Um, so just breaking the passage down, we're going to walk through verse by verse. The vision, the reaction, and the result. Let's start with the vision. Look again at verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. So right away in verse 1, we see that sort of that, that parallelism, that structure. John's already reaching back and saying, Remember that those angels that had the seven bowls? One of them said to me, one of them came up and said, Come, I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Verse 2, With whom... The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And here's where I want to go with, with this verse sexual immorality has consequences. Sexual immorality has consequences. You may think that your sin is in private. Um, but we read in this passage that the whole earth, that very rulers of, of kingdoms on this earth have become drunk with the wine of sexual immorality. Sin has consequences. And see, what's interesting about this passage is it's not just talking about sexual immorality. It is talking about sexual immorality, but it's also talking about uh, a broader context. If I had to write a book right now, I'd write a book called Yes And, and, and I deal with all of the theological questions that can be answered with this answer. Yes, and, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> is this talking about sexual immorality? Yes, it's also talking about sin more in general. Many times in the Bible, sexual immorality is likened to spiritual infidelity in general. In fact, in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, the, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, are said to have committed adultery against God. Committed adultery against God. In essence, slept with Babylon the prostitute instead of with Almighty God. And it's not just talking about sexual sin, but spiritual infidelity. You see, our God is a jealous father. Just, just as it's right for all of you spouses to be jealous spouses. God created you as a married person to be intimate and have fidelity with your spouse, with no one else. So too, God is a jealous father. And when we turn and, and, and worship idols, that produces the wrath of God. And, and praise God that that wrath of God does not fall on us as believers of Jesus Christ, but is passed over us onto Jesus uh, but you have to see in this passage, yes, John's talking about sexual immorality. Yes, sexual immorality has consequences. No, it is not private. No, it is not personal. Yes, you should stop doing it. But it's also talking about sin in general. All sin is infidelity. 
All sin is adultery against God. For just as we are bonded with God through Christ, so all idolatry is breaking that bond, breaking that covenant, turning away from our loving Father and pursuing darkness. So this passage is talking about sexual sin, yes, but, but sin more broadly. And sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. You see it in verse 2. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, spiritual infidelity, and with the wine on whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. The dwellers on earth have become drunk. The, the consequence of sin is this sort of delirious, hazy attitude, this delirious atmosphere where we don't see God clearly. Our sin has consequences. In the Old Testament, this passage is picking up on a lot of themes in the Old Testament. I'd like to, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read to you a, a short passage from the book of, of Jeremiah 51, verse 7. And Jeremiah 51, it picks up on this theme. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. So just as we drink of the wine of Babylon, we drink of the wine of spiritual infidelity, of sexual immorality, of idolatry in general, and we become drunk. In that sense, the title of the classic movie from several years ago is accurate. It is a mad, 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 mad world. We have become drunk with the wine of Babylon the prostitute. And that drunkenness results in consequences, results in madness. And, and maybe you're coming in this morning having tasted that madness in a powerful way, maybe even this week, where everything's going wrong, <laughs> so wrong, so fast in so many ways. There's so much darkness. Surely all of us would admit that there's darkness in general in the world, but maybe you're coming in here this morning and you've experienced darkness. Um, take hope that God's light has overcome, has overcome that darkness, but remember that, that that darkness can even be in our own souls. It's not just external, it's internal. So we all can admit that there's brokenness in the world, right? We all can admit that there's brokenness. There are, there are two reactions to this. Like I was saying, there's that external blame, like, oh, you know, obviously like murder, ISIS, you know, stealing, all wrong. They're all wrong out there, you know, in the world where there's crime, all wrong, okay? That's one reaction. It's out there. The other reaction is, it's in here. It's in my heart. The world's broken, sure, but I'm just as broken. The world's broken, but so am I. To illustrate this, I, I, I heard an interview actually just this morning of, of Stan Bowman. Raise your hand right off the bat. You know who Stan Bowman is. Woo! Go Blackhawks! Um, but not so much because they won zero games in their first series. They are done. Their season is over. I'm quite upset. Um, so I listened to this interview from Stan Bowman, who's the, the general manager of the Blackhawks. Um, 
to try and get some answers. I'm like, come on, Stan, tell me, why did my team lose? Why did the Hawks lose? Top seat in the entire National Hockey League. They were supposed to win it all, and they won zero games in the first series. And Stan Bowman said something really fascinating. He was just continually like, this was terrible. Our season should not have ended this way. We did you, the fans, a disservice. I can't believe what just happened. But instead of putting the blame on the team, the general manager says, I need to get better. I didn't do my job well enough. I need to change. I need to get better. I've never, ever seen a post-game press conference that's like that. Never in my life. Every time, the general manager tends to be like, oh, well, this situation or that situation, you know, they had some good stacked up against our, and like, oh, you know, and this injury and that player, and we didn't, you know, all the players. And it would be so easy for Stan Bowman to do this, be like, well, you know, I wasn't really playing hockey, so it wasn't really my fault. I wear a suit, I'm up in the press box, I'm drinking champagne, um, or sparkling grape juice, if you'd rather, excuse me. Um, it would be easy for Stan Bowman to be like, like no, it's, it's them, it's the, it's the hockey players, it's the Blackhawks, I'm just sort of the administrator. But no, he's like, this season should not have ended this way, and it's my fault. The team was broken, but so was he, and he admitted it and said, he has to change. So there's two reactions to brokenness, right? It's all out there or it's all in here. And I, I think the latter is where we have to dwell even in this passage. There's brokenness in the world. There's sexual immorality in the world. There's idolatry in the world. There's spiritual infidelity in the world, but it's in my heart as well. I need a savior, just like all those wicked people out there. There's brokenness out there but there's brokenness in here. So let's keep reading. Uh, in verse 3, that we've, we've seen the angel introduce Babylon the prostitute. Now John sees her. We see the vision. It says, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. We've seen this beast earlier in the book of Revelation as well. We, we saw two beasts. This is one of those beasts. It has come back to life. It, it, it received a mortal wound, and it's, it's back. Um, and, and there's a certain like, kind of satanic alliance between Babylon the prostitute and this beast whom she sits on. So this alliance between beast and Babylon. Let's keep reading in verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So right here is where a lot of the, the theological rub starts to happen. What does it mean that this prostitute's name is Babylon? Scholars have debated this for centuries. Uh, there are many different opinions. Some even believe that, it, that it's a sect of Christianity that has grown apostate. Um, some believe that, that it's the Roman Empire, sort of a resurrected form of the Roman Empire. Some believe it's some other great world power. So there's so much debate going on. Oh, who's Babylon? Where's Babylon? What's Babylon? And I'm sorry, but I just don't think that's the point of the passage. 
I don't think who Babylon is, quite frankly, really matters. Because what you have to do to get to the name of the prostitute is read past the description of the prostitute. And I'm sorry, but I think the description of Babylon is more important than the name itself. Obviously, the name is important. These scholars should continue writing books that I don't understand. I'll try to read them. You're welcome to as well. But let's look at the description. Verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup. If we stopped right there with no context, that would be a pretty awesome picture. This beautiful woman arrayed in purple and scarlet, fine linen, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup. Write this down. Sin is very shiny. Sin is very shiny. Anybody have kids? Anybody have kids that, that, that like shiny things? Like, like you, you show them something that they want or something shiny, and they're like, boom, like make a beeline straight to that thing that they're not supposed to have. Sin is like that. We're all like children. We see the luster and the appeal and the comfort of infidelity against God. And instead of combating that and saying, no, that is not going to ultimately satisfy me, we see the sparkle and this fake fluorescent light that surrounds it that does not even compare with the light of Jesus, and we say, oh, mine. I want that sin. And we commit adultery against God. Sin is shiny. It distracts us. It blinds us. It keeps getting in the way of following God. Just as the woman is adorned in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels, holding in her hand a golden cup, so too our sin promises all of these treasures. Money, security, comfort, sex, status. Sin promises all of these things which it cannot ultimately deliver. And we'll see that a little further on in the passage. Sin is shiny, and it distracts so many of us. Not only the people in this passage, but also you, and also me. Verse 6 says, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Now, now it, gets, it starts to get a little weird, all right? So we see this beautiful woman with all these, all these expensive jewels, and she's drinking the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs. And we can all admit that we would not want to drink that, but ultimately that's what sin is. It promises this amazing glass of something that we want, and we end up drinking blood. It does not satisfy. In fact, it only leaves us more thirsty. Here at Evanston Bible Fellowship, we believe that worship is a continuous action. Worship is not limited to this space. It is not limited to Sunday mornings. And if worship is a continuous action, that means at any given time of your life, you are either, you're doing one of two things. And I know binaries make people angry. And I know we're all about nonconformity. You're either, I'm sorry, you're either doing one of two things. You're worshiping God or you're worshiping not God. You're worshiping God or you're worshiping Babylon the prostitute. I'm sorry, it's black and white. God or Satan. Worship is a continuous 
action. It is not limited to this space. My brothers and sisters, don't be allured by sin's shininess, by sin's luster. Don't be distracted. Don't turn your worship of God on Sunday into worship of Babylon the prostitute Monday through Saturday. And I know somebody's walked in here (laughs) worshiping something else or someone else or some other object or money or sex or status or power or whatever Monday through Saturday, and then they show up here, they expect me to do, and Pastor Jason, all the elders to do all of their Bible work for them as if that's their entire Christian life. That's not true. We can't worship Babylon the prostitute Monday through Saturday, then show up to church as if everything's fine on Sunday. Worship is a continuous action. And at every point of your life, you have to choose to worship God. You have to choose to dwell in the light. All right, I've got to move on. We've seen the vision in verses 1 through 6a. Let's move to the reaction. The second half of verse 6. It should be a a next little paragraph for you. It says, When I saw her, I marveled greatly. That's the reaction, John's reaction. He marvels. Uh, The angel interrupts that marveling and says, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. Have you ever marveled at at something that that you shouldn't have? Have you ever marveled at something that you shouldn't? Um, I think we all do it. An example, I, I love the modern wing of the Art Institute of Chicago. Any other fans of the modern wing in the house? I could spend hours in the modern wing. But sometimes, and, and I, I know it's probably, I don't understand it and I'm not artistic enough, but sometimes there's like one piece that's just like, you know, like a canvas that's like three inches by three inches and just like a line across it. And you know, I, I can stand there, I'm serious, I can stand there and dig into the complexities and the intricacy and the execution and the, oh, it means so many things. And then and my, my family comes to me and they're like, Ryan, we're going to the food court. Like, what are you still doing here? <laughs> I could do this and I'm like seven. Um, I, I marveled at something that, that I maybe shouldn't have, and I apologize if I've just offended all of the artists in the room after just complimenting this beautiful piece behind me. Um, have you ever marveled at something that you shouldn't have? Um, I'll give you another example. I listen to a lot of talk radio throughout the week, and when you listen to a lot of talk radio, you hear a lot of traffic reports. In fact, one every 15 minutes. Um, lots of traffic. And, and I learned something called the gaper delay. If anybody, have anybody, has anybody heard of the gaper delay? A gaper delay, and this is fascinating, when an accident is happening, let's say an accident has ha- happened at Dempster and 94 West. So, so 94 West and at Dempster, there's a huge accident. 94 East has traffic as well. Why? Because people are marveling at the accident. People slam on their brakes and they're like, what? Oh my God, that's crazy. Gaper delay. They're marveling at something they shouldn't. Oftentimes, gaper delays result in other accidents. <laughs> they shouldn't, you shouldn't be marveling and slowing down traffic for all the rest of us that want to go on 94 East. Have you ever marveled at, at something that you shouldn't have? Here, John marvels at something that he shouldn't be marveling at. He marvels at this prostitute. The angel interrupts him, interrupts that marveling, and says, I'll tell you the mystery. It's quite simple. And he explains it with a series of confusing symbolisms. Real simple. 
Verse 8. Verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. So real confusing, but I'll put it for you real, real simply. A couple chapters ago, I just talked about this a few minutes ago, the beast received a mortal wound and it has now come back to life. And, and later on in the book of Revelation, as we get towards chapter 19, it will come back in a fuller expansion of its power for a temporary amount of time. So it was, it had power, it is not, it received a mortal wound, and it is about to rise and then go to destruction. So it was, is, uh, it was, is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. See, God will grant the beast authority before God wipes out all evil as if it was like you know, killing a mosquito on your arm to show the goodness and the power and the glory and the justice of God. So the beast was, is not, and is about to rise before it goes to destruction permanently. Does that make more sense? It received a mortal wound, back to life. It's going away soon. Let's keep reading verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. These few verses are a perfect picture, a perfect picture of earthly authority. It it, it talks about uh, the dwellers of the earth, right? This calls from uh, seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must only remain a little while. This is the scope of human history, uh, many scholars indicate. All of these humans have come to power and come out of power. It's like saying the Roman Empire, thousands of years ago, it's, it's finished. All the followers of the Roman Empire are long dead. So, so there's five that have fallen. One is... Human authority over us now. The other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must only remain a little while. This is a picture of authority on earth. It's also a picture of the authority of the beast. Certain demonic powers have come to power throughout world history. Um, There's still more to come, provided Jesus doesn't come back. But when they do come to power, they will come out of power because, spoiler alert, all humans die. History moves on. And and compared to the scope of God's eternity, all of human history, all of the thousands of years of human history are like this. That's it. And and we don't experience that because we are finite and we are living day by day and hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second. But in light of all eternity, human authority is like this. That's it. So we have these authority structures come to power, come out of power. There's some to come, but while they remain in power, they're only there a little while. Let's keep reading in verse 11. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. It's saying it's kind of the same thing. It was, it is not, and it is about to rise and then go to destruction. 
Verse 12, and, and the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. So here we see another picture uh, of God giving authority to human structures, giving authority to the beast, and and in a few chapters, we'll see the war happen. We're in the middle of the end, but we'll see the final clash, the final war. And what's interesting about the book of Revelation, and I don't want you to lose sight of this, the bigger evil gets, the bigger God gets. The more it seems that evil is unconquerable, that it is indestructible, God squashes it, like you would a mosquito on your arm. The bigger evil gets, the bigger God gets by comparison. Infinitely bigger, infinitely more powerful. And, and right now we see evil getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but keep in mind, let's keep reading in verse 14, God is going to squash this evil. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he's not just a lord, he's the lord of lords. He's not just an earthly king. He's the king of all the kings. And those with him, you, believers in Jesus Christ, are called and chosen and faithful. Called, chosen, and faithful. We're all called as believers in Jesus Christ. We're all chosen as believers in Jesus Christ. But are you faithful? Are you faithful? Are you living in faithfulness, in fidelity to God only? Or are you unfaithful? Are you an unfaithful spouse to your heavenly Father? Believers in Jesus Christ are called and are chosen and should be faithful. Are you faithful? So we have the vision, the reaction, and now the result. Let's read verse 15. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So this alliance between beast and prostitute has now been broken. The beast and human authority teams up and devour the prostitute. They make her desolate and naked. They burn her and devour her flesh. And here's my point. If you idolize if you commit unfaithfulness against God, if you idolize, you will demonize. If you idolize, you will demonize. If you spend a lot of time with Babylon the prostitute, eventually you will hate the very things that you're doing. If you idolize your spouse, if you treat your spouse like their God, you'll eventually hate your spouse. Same with your kids. Same with your job. Same with anything else or anyone else. Same with financial security. You'll hate money. If you idolize, you will demonize. These people that, that were spending time sleeping with Babylon the prostitute, 
eventually devour her flesh and burn her with fire. If you idolize, you will demonize. The, the satanic alliance is broken, and the prostitute has been defeated. And keep in mind who's doing this in verse 17. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast. Verse 18, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Again, many scholars get into what does it mean to be the great city, and in fact, that verse actually leads into the next week. Um, so I'm going to table that there and let Pastor John tackle that issue next week because um, it, it's a good lead-in because, again, we're in a, a larger section of the book of Revelation from chapter 17 to 19. So what does this mean for us? What does this passage mean? We've seen the vision, the reaction, and the result. The vision of the prostitute, the marveling reaction which the angel interrupts, and the result. Alliance is broken, prostitute is devoured. How can we apply this to our lives? And I just have one thing to say. Flee Babylon and pursue Christ. Flee Babylon and pursue Christ. And no, I'm not talking about like that preacher thing where it's like, oh, okay, I should like, you know, run away from my sin. Yeah, run, yeah. No, I'm talking about like actually getting up and running towards Christ. Like actually, when you find yourself in a situation with which you're about to sin, get up and run away. Go to your ethos community. Come to church. Spend time with a brother or sister in the Lord. Flee Babylon. Sin cannot be managed. Sin cannot be micromanaged. Sin cannot be taken care of and isolated to one part of my life and maybe only on Saturdays, you know, blah, 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 blah. No, sin must be killed. It must be fled from and Christ must be pursued instead. Flee Babylon the prostitute, brothers and sisters. Flee Babylon and pursue Christ. If you remember one thing this morning, don't spend time with Babylon. Pursue Christ. Whatever that means, and I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know that you have to flee Babylon. Run away. Kill your sin, your immorality, your spiritual infidelity, and replace it with following Christ Jesus. May we, as members of Evanston Bible Fellowship, as students of the Word of God, be characterized by fleeing Babylon and pursuing Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us, your mercy, your faithfulness. Even when we are unfaithful, even when we have committed spiritual infidelity, you are faithful and you send Christ. And Christ's sacrifice covers not just part all of our sin. I thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit of God so that we have not just our own power, but the very power of God to do these things, the very power of God, God in us to flee Babylon. And I pray for the brother, for the sister in here who's caught up in immorality, who's caught up in licentiousness, who's caught up in sin and idolatry, God, convince them of these truths. May we be marked not by running towards the prostitute, not by running towards sin's shininess, 
but by running towards God in Christ. In the power of the Spirit, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.